ಪಾರ್ಥಯ ಪ್ರತಿಬೋಧಿ ಭಗವತ ನಾರಾಯಣ ಸ್ವಯಂ ವ್ಯಾಸೇನ ಗ್ರಥಿತುರಾಣಮುನಿ ಮಧ್ಯೆ ಮಹಾಭಾರತ ಅದ್ವೈತಮೃತವರ್ಷಿಣಿ ಭಗವತಿ ಅಷ್ಟಾಧ್ಯಾಮನುಸಂದಿ ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತೆಷಿಣಿ ಯಂ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮವರುಣೇಂದ್ರರುದ್ರಮರು ಸ್ತುನ್ವಂತಿ ದಿವ್ಯೈಸ್ತವೈ ವೇದೈಸ್ಸಾಂಗಪದಕ್ರಮೋಪನಿಷದೈ ಗಾಯಂತಿಸ್ಥಿತೇನ ಮನಸ ಪಶ್ಯಂತಿ ಯೋಗಿನ ಯಂತನ್ನ ವಿದುಸುರಸುರಗಣ ದೇವಾಯ ತಸ್ಮೈ ನಮಃ we were discussing the verse 16 on the second chapter nasato vidyate bhavah na bhavo vidyate satah ubhayorapi drishtondah tvanayos tattva darshibhi it expresses very profound truth about the life and in fact in this one verse we can say the whole vedanta is very well expressed in fact the first line itself nasato vidyate bhavah na bhavo vidyate satah that which is asat that which is unreal does not really exist satah abhavah na vidyate and that which is real can never be non existent that which is real is always it always is and that which is unreal never really is so what is this unreal why is it necessary to say that what is unreal never really is because commonly it is taken to be real so this is again the discrimination between the real and the unreal what is non existent nobody takes to be existent like the horn of a rabbit a rabbit never has a horn and never nobody ever takes that to be a real entity and so there is no need to say that there is no such thing as a rabbit son we also know that but when there is something like like mirage water which appears to be water and therefore if one does not know the truth of that object <coughs> then one may take it to be real water in which case it becomes necessary to tell that person that look that appears to be water but there is no water there <coughs> so what is not really there but or what is not real but is taken to be real that is where the need for instruction is like it is said in the 13th chapter hey hey arjuna this body is an object is non self lord krishna says this body is not the self the one who knows the body is a self <coughs> why is it necessary to say because even though the body is not the self it is commonly taken to be the self therefore it is necessary to give this instruction similarly also 
what is the source of all our grief and sorrow and delusion including arjuna's of course this world is the source of the grief sorrow and all the problems <clears throat> when the situation is agreeable then it causes pleasure and when the situation is disagreeable usually it causes pain or displeasure therefore we find that both the pleasure and the displeasure are created by the situations by the world and therefore lord krishna here takes up for discussion the reality of what we call the world to determine whether is it proper that this world should cause any pleasure or pain in us <clears throat> what is the reality of this universe is it a real tangible solid thing that it appears to be lord krishna says no asataha bhavaha navidyate this universe falls in the category of asat asat does not mean non existent asat means unreal in this case the word asat has an element a and then sat sat means that which exists or sat means existence asat a is the particle which denotes the negative but the particle a denotes various things not only negative it also denotes the opposite it also denotes something else so normally when the particle a is added as a prefix to a word usually or often it means the absence of that thing but very often it is not the absence it is something different from that so asat here means not absence of sat but asat means sat virakshanam something different from sat sat means real asat therefore is not totally non existent but something which is unreal so what is this unreal unreal is again a technical word it is also called mithya that which appears to be real but in fact which is not is called unreal <coughs> the illustration that is given is of the objects seen in, in dream like the elephants and mountains etc which i experience in dream are not really there and still are taken to be real by me when i am dreaming therefore those objects are called mithya or asat <coughs> or the mirage water for example is also what we call asat or mithya appears to be water but is not really water so that is okay but how about that very desert now we say that mirage water is mithya or unreal and the desert is real okay what is the reality of the desert <coughs> so here the whole perceptible universe which we experience itself the reality of that itself is is a subject of inquiry <coughs> and as we say take any one object which we experience and examine the reality of that object and then that analysis would be applicable to the rest of the objects because every object in the universe is nothing but a name and a form there is a name like book and there is a form there is name clock and there is a form there is name tree and there is a form so the whole universe is nothing but a collection of these names and forms and therefore we take a given name and form for analysis and and that result will apply to all the names and forms <coughs> therefore here 
a typical part, a clay part was taken to my analysis and said that what we call the part really is nothing but a modification of clay. In fact, what we call part is nothing but clay. So clay is called the cause and part is called the effect. But then, what we call the effect is really nothing but the cause. What is part? Nothing but clay in a given configuration. As far as the reality is concerned, not as far as the use is concerned. We are concerned here with the nature of reality, not the nature of appearance or the nature of usefulness. Somebody may argue that a part is is useful thing <coughs> and the clay is not. A lump of clay is of no use to us. While the part is useful as far as in filling water or in carrying water. But usefulness is not the criterion to determine the reality of a thing. What is the substance of the part? And substance of the part is nothing but clay. So a part cannot exist apart from the clay. An effect cannot exist apart from the clay. Apart from the cause. And cause is therefore the reality of the effect. Clay is the truth of the part. And similarly also cause is always the truth of every effect. What happens is that cause itself turns out to be another effect. <laughs> that clay which is the cause of the part turns out to be an effect of something else. Effect of some other molecules which collection of which is called clay. <coughs> In that sense the clay also will turn out to be uh, false or mithya and those molecules will be real. Those molecules turn out to be again another which are cause of the clay turn out to be effect of something else like the atoms. And thus if we keep on inquiring into the reality of the thing we find that what we experience is an effect and it reduces itself into a cause which turns out to be another effect which reduces itself into another cause which turns out to be yet another effect and thus if we keep on reducing and reducing and reducing where will it ultimately re- result into? Will a given object ultimately reduce into nothingness? The answer is no, it will not reduce to nothingness. Because even when we perceive a part, we say part is. And therefore we are perceiving a part as well as experiencing what we call existence. Okay, then part is, is, is determined to be nothing but clay. Then we say clay is. So when we, not, when we do not perceive part, but when we perceive clay, then also that clay is, that existence is always associated with the clay also. Suppose clay is further reduced to its own cause, then also those molecules are. Then also existence is always associated with that cause. Thus we find that whereas the name and form keep on changing as we reduce the effect into cause, the existence associated with that ever remains the same. <clears throat> because you can never perceive anything unless the thing exists. You can never be aware of something unless that thing enjoys an existence. You can never be aware of the horn on my head because they do not enjoy an existence. So we cannot be aware of something which does not enjoy existence. And therefore, Every appreciation or awareness that we have, every form of knowledge or awareness that we have, 
is always associated with existence. And therefore, when we keep on reducing an effect into cause, into a further cause, and so on and so forth, where will it finally resolve into? Into that which never, uh, which never changes, or which never can be further reduced, and that is pure and simple existence. <coughs> So this name and form, which appear to be a very concrete and tangible reality, ultimately reduces itself into plain and simple existence. Just as pot reduces itself into clay, and clay reduces itself into something else, and thus the whole universe in the ultimate analysis reduces itself into what we call existence, pure and simple existence. Because that Sat-Buddhi, or the knowledge of existence is never, uh, there is no vivichara, meaning that there is no change as far as knowledge of existence is concerned. So when I say part is, there is knowledge of part and knowledge of existence. When the part is broken, the knowledge of part is replaced by knowledge of clay. But the knowledge of existence continues to remain because clay is. When the clay is further reduced into atoms, then the knowledge of clay goes away and is displaced by the knowledge of atoms. But then also, knowledge of existence is, because atoms are. If atoms are further reduced, well, there may be some finer particles. The knowledge of atom goes away, is displaced by the knowledge of particles, subatomic particles, but then also, the knowledge of existence is. So understand that the knowledge of existence always remains. You cannot negate it, you cannot displace it, you cannot change it. <coughs> and therefore, we say that existence is that which is real because it is changeless. Real is that which cannot be negated. Real is that which does not subject itself to change. <coughs> and thus, this analysis shows that Sat or existence is the truth of the whole universe. Just as it is clay which presents itself in the form of a pot, it is gold which presents itself in the form of an ornament, so also it is just sat or existence which presents itself in the form of this whole universe consisting of names and forms. This is what Lord Krishna says. And therefore, the names and forms are unreal. Mithya, hey Arjuna, they do not have any reality about them. Whereas that sat or existence is real, is the truth, and it can never go out of existence. So then you to analyze, what is it that gives me trouble? What is it in, in my experiences that causes me sadness, or grief, or suffering? Not that existence, always a name and form causes me suffering. Because a situation is nothing but a configuration of different names and forms. And I brand a given situation as agreeable and some other situation as disagreeable. But what is that situation? Nothing but a given configuration of names and forms. So all the pleasure and pain, the source of all the pleasure and pain, happiness and unhappiness, all of that is what? The names and forms. The Sat or existence cannot become either the source of pleasure or source of pain. What becomes a source of pleasure or pain is merely these names and forms. 
And what is the reality of names and forms? Names and forms do not have any reality at all. The only reality that is, is Sat or existence. So then what are you worried about? Lord Krishna is asking Arjuna. Tattva darshi bihi. This is what the Tattva darshi. Tattva. Tasya bhavaha Tattvam. Tat means Brahma. And Tattva means Brahma bhavaha. Meaning the truth of Brahman. So Tattvadarshi, the wise people are those who know the truth of Brahman, who know the truth of everything. And even that Sat or existence that we are talking about, which we say is associated with every name and form, where is it? Is it where the name and form appears to me? The answer is no. It is not out there, it is right here. It is the very self. When we really ask this question, where is this Sat, where is existence, or where is truth? When all the names and forms ultimately reduce themselves to pure existence or truth, where is the truth, out there someplace? The answer is no, the truth is the very Self. So very Self which is I, alone is Sat, alone is existence, alone is truth, and that alone appears as this universe of names and forms. Just as in dream, it is I alone who appears as the whole dream world. And so also in the waking state, it is self, which is sat or existence, alone appears as this universe of names and forms. So sat or existence or the self can never become a source of pleasure or pain because it is not different from me, it is my very self. Then what becomes a source of pleasure and pain? The names and forms. But they are all mithya. They are all unreal. And therefore, it is ignorance really that is a source of pleasure and pain and not even names and forms. Because what is unreal, when it is given reality, then alone, a real thing alone can become the source of happiness or unhappiness. Suppose in the dream world, I knew that what all I am experiencing is merely a projection of my mind. Suppose I knew that in the dream, would those dream experiences cause any sadness in me or any elation in me? No, because I know that this is all projection. But when I am in dream, I do not know that. And therefore, whatever I am experiencing in dream is taken to be real by me. And therefore, those dream objects are able to create an impact upon me by creating pleasure and pain in me. When I wake up in the morning and I realize it's all dream, then I realize there's no cause for me to worry or anxious. Because I know the mithya, unreal is unreal. It cannot become the source of sorrow or whatever. <coughs> so Lord Krishna says, Arjuna, you are grieving. You are sad. Because you think that the world is real. As it appears, world is not real. What is perceptible or what appears before you is his names and forms. Names and forms are merely the vehicles for manifestation of the truth which is existence, which is the self. And therefore, only truth that is anywhere is nothing but the self which is Sat or existence. <coughs> this is how Tattvadarshivihi, this is how the wise people know. Wise people also perceive the world that you and I perceive. 
They also perceive this world of names and forms. But then, what is their understanding? Perception is the same. But what is the vision? Whereas ignorant person takes a perceptive world to be real, tangible, solid. The wise person perceives the world all right, but knows this to be unreal. Like a waker evaluating the objects of the dream, and so also the wise man is like a person who has woken up in the dream. And he understands that the perceptive world of the names and forms is nothing but a projection. Just as a part which is name and form is a projection upon the clay, and so also every effect is a projection upon the cause, and so also the whole universe is a projection upon the Sat or existence or the truth which is the Self. And therefore all there is nothing but Sat, existence, truth or the Self. That's all there is. There is no second thing. For example, even when you have 100 ornaments, all there is is one gold alone. Suppose one the ornament does not know that other ornaments are also gold, then it may take them to be different from itself. Like a wave not knowing that it is water may fight with all other waves. But when there are millions and millions of waves, all there is is merely one substance called water. And wave is nothing but a name and form for the manifestation of the truth which is water. And this is similarly also, all there is is Sat or existence, which is truth, which is a self. <coughs> this is the truth that is revealed in Chandogya Upanishad. Aitadatma vidam sarvam tat satyam saatma tattvamasi shveta The whole universe has its atma or the essence as Sat. And that alone is truth. And that alone is self. And that alone is you. Lord Krishna says, this is the vision of the wise. And even if you do not have this vision, definitely you can always adopt the vision of the wise. Right now this is not your vision. Because you think that everyone standing before you is all real. The whole world is real. But says Lord Krishna that you also adopt the vision of the wise. And make your mind see that this is how the wise know the universe as unreal and therefore it is all unreal and therefore the cold and heat or the comfort and discomfort or the honor and dishonor which are created by the world of names and forms are also equally unreal because what is the cause of honor and dishonor or pleasure and pain or happiness and unhappiness nothing but these names and forms when they themselves are unreal then all the pairs of opposites created by them are also equally unreal. And therefore, there is no reason why one should be affected by them. Or one should permit oneself to be affected by them. <coughs> the earlier verse Lord Krishna said, that they are all coming and going, they are all perishable and therefore may you endure them. In this verse Lord Krishna says, they are not there at all and therefore there is no question of enduring them because they do not have any reality. Thus the pairs of opposites, heat and cold, pleasure and pain, honor and dishonor, does not, do not have any reality about them. And may you keep this in mind. <coughs> okay. Having thus declared that there are two categories. 
two entities. One is called Sat, other is called Asat. One is real, other is unreal. Now the Lord Krishna, Lord Krishna proceeds. Kim punhatat yes sadeva sarvadaeva stiri. Next question is then, what is it which is ever there, which ever existent, which is ever real, which never gives up its reality, which never gives up its form, which never, which never changes? What is that? And that is answered in the verse 17. Avinashitu tadvidhi yena sarvamidam tadam vinasham avyayasyasya nakaschit kartum arhati. Avinashitu tadvidhi yena sarvamidam tadam. Says tadvidhi, may you know <coughs> Avinashi. Avinashi means imperishable or indestructible. Vinasha means destruction. Vinashi, that which is subject to destruction. Avinashi, that which is not subject to destruction, meaning indestructible. So may you know that to be indestructible, may you know that to be imperishable. What is it? Yena sarvamidam tatam. Yena by which? Sarvamidam, all this tatam pervaded. May you know that to be imperishable or indestructible, that by which all this universe is pervaded. What do you mean pervaded? Just as the space pervades this physical world, like this room is pervaded, this hall is pervaded by space, like a pot is pervaded by space. So just as space pervades this universe, perceptible universe, so also that which pervades this entire creation, including space, even space also is created. Because in deep sleep, even the space and time are also not there. So space and time are also nothing but creation. So that by which the whole universe, including the space and time, is pervaded, know that to be imperishable or indestructible. <clears throat> and what is that? What is it that pervades time? Or what is it that pervades space? The awareness pervades space and time. I am aware of space. I am aware of time. So that is how we say, for example, I am aware of book. Then book is pervaded by awareness. I am aware of a tree, then the tree is pervaded by awareness. Similarly also, I am aware of time, as time is passing. I am aware of space, and therefore time and space are also pervaded by or illumined by awareness. Let us say pervaded means illumined. Or let us say this light pervades the objects in this hall. How does it do that? By illumining the objects. So light illumines the objects by pervading them. So that which illumines necessarily pervades that which is illumined. So just as if the people in this hall and other objects are illumined by the light and therefore we say that the light pervades these objects. So light is the pervading, light is that which pervades and the objects are those which are pervaded. <coughs> that which is illumined 
is pervaded by that which illumines. Similarly also, what is it that illumines space and time? What is it because of which I am aware of space and time? It is awareness because of which I am aware of space and time. Awareness illumines space. Awareness illumines time. Awareness illumines the whole universe. <coughs> so, yena sarvam idam tatam, that by which the entire universe is pervaded, meaning that by which the entire universe is illumined. And what illumines the entire universe? This we have seen a number of times. For example, what is it that illumines all the colors and forms? My eyes. What is it that illumines the sound? My ears. Our organs of perception illumine the respective objects. Because if eyes are not there, I could not perceive color. I could not perceive form. If ears are not there, I could not perceive sound. Therefore, we have the perception of sound only when ears are. Therefore, we say that the sounds are illumined by the ears. The colors are illumined by the eyes. Thus, the organs of perception illumine their respective objects. Thus, this whole universe consisting of these fivefold objects, the sound and the touch and the color and the taste and the smell, so these are the various objects in the universe. All of them are illumined by the respective organs of perception. We would say that even the sun and moon and all the luminaries are also illumined by our eyes. Because if the eyes are not functioning, the sun and moon, none of them can be perceived. And therefore, they are perceived because eyes illumine them. Thus, the various objects of the universe are illumined by our organs of perception. And what illumines the organs of perception? <coughs> the mind. Because if the mind is not behind a given organ of perception, then the organ of perception is not, cannot function. If my mind is not right now behind the ears, well, I cannot, under, cannot hear the sound. If my mind is not behind the eyes, I cannot see something that may be in front of me. And therefore it is mind that illumines the organs of perception. And what illumines the mind? What is it with, with which, because of which I am aware of even the thoughts of my mind? What is it because of which I am aware of the thoughts and emotions, they are all in my mind? It is the awareness. So awareness illumines the mind, mind illumines the sense organs, sense organs illumines this, all the objects, the whole universe. In this manner, it is awareness that illumines the entire universe. Therefore, the entire universe is illumined by awareness. And as we said, that which is illumined is pervaded by that which illumines. And therefore, the whole universe is pervaded by awareness that illumines the universe. And who is that awareness? I am that awareness. The self is awareness. Self is existence, self is awareness. So self, which is existence, awareness, illumines and pervades the entire universe. So know that to be Avinashi, indestructible. May you know the self as indestructible, as imperishable. <coughs> Why is it so? 
Why should you say that just because the self is illumined, oh, I mean it illumines everything, it pervades everything, therefore it is imperishable, how do you say? Because what can, what can be destroyed? A thing can destroy, it can, it can be inherently destructible or it can be destroyed by something else. For example, this body, which consists of various parts, can be destroyed when it loses its parts. So destruction is possible when something is having, has different, has, it consists of parts or is made up of different components. When there is something which is made up of different components, that thing which is an assembly will get destroyed when the components are not there. <coughs> or the components separate, in that case the assembly will be destroyed. That's the reason why this body can be destroyed because it is made up of various components, it's an assembly. Self is partless, awareness or existence is partless. There is no part in it. There is no height and weight and depth or anything in the self. Because all the parts, all the concepts of height, weight, all of these are in fact illumined by the self. <coughs> Just as his light does not have any parts, it doesn't have any divisions and therefore it is able to illumine all the parts. <coughs> and so also awareness or existence itself is partless, is without any quality and that which is partless cannot suffer a destruction by itself. Anything that is an assembly consisting of different components will suffer destruction by itself. You need not do anything. <coughs> you need not do anything with this body. Someday it will disintegrate itself into its components because it is made up of different components. So anything that is made up of components will ultimately reduce itself into components. Make a pot out of clay and just leave it as it is. A time will come when that pot will disintegrate into clay without you doing anything. And so also this body is made up of various components. And just leave the body as it is, it will reduce itself into its components without you doing anything. Because in assembly, it's what holds these components together. When that bonding factor does not remain, the components will disintegrate. The idea is, anything that is an assembly, anything that is sparse, is something that, that itself will suffer from destruction inherently. The self, which is awareness or existence, is partless and therefore it is not subject to destruction inherently. <coughs> Another way of destroying is, is robbing somebody. For example, some person, Devadatta, is a rich man because he has a lot of money with him. You, when his money is robbed away, suppose, then the rich man is destroyed. Even though the man is not destroyed, the rich man is destroyed because that because of which he was rich, his possession, when the possession is removed, then also one suffers a kind of a destruction, which is a partial destruction. Self also is not connected with anything, he doesn't have any possession at all. Asangaha, Atma, the self, which is awareness or existence, is unconnected, is partless and unconnected. Since it is partless, cannot suffer from destruction by itself. Since it is unconnected or unrelated, therefore it cannot suffer destruction on account of loss of something because it cannot lose something. 
I can lose something which I possess. Self doesn't possess anything, it is not related or connected or associated with anything. And therefore, it cannot suffer loss by way of losing something. <coughs> and therefore, either way, the destruction of the self, which is awareness or existence, is not possible. Avinashitu tadvidhi yena sarvamidam tatam Vinasham avyayasyasya nakaschit kartu marhati. Lord Krishna says in second line, nakaschit, no one whatsoever. Vinasham kartu marhati, no one whatever can ever bring about destruction of this one, of the self, who is avyaya, who is imperishable, who is inexhaustible. The self which is imperishable or inexhaustible, its destruction cannot be brought about by anyone. Even God cannot destroy the self. <coughs> Why? Because it is the self of God also. So this self existence and awareness is even the self or essence of what we call Lord. And therefore, even Lord also cannot bring about its destruction because it is the self of Lord also. And therefore, no one whatever can bring about destruction of the self. This is a lesson. And therefore, self is real. That which cannot suffer destruction, that which cannot suffer change, that alone is real. And that is a self which is sat, existence, and chit, awareness. So self which is the nature of existence, awareness, is indestructible and therefore real. <coughs> so two categories were there. One category was sat, existence or real. Other category is asat or unreal. Okay, what is the second category which you said is unreal and which constantly changes? So what is it that is real which never changes? The self. What is it that is unreal which constantly suffers change? <coughs> so that second category is now described in the verse 18. Antavanta imedehaha nityasyokta sharirinaha Anashano Prameyasya Tasmad Yudhyasva Bharata Antavantaha Imedehaha Nityasya Uktaha Sharirinaha Imedehaha Antavantaha Deha means body. These bodies, Lord Krishna says, are Antavantaha. They are subject to Anta, meaning they are subject to destruction or end. <coughs> All these bodies. And what is body? Body is nothing but the names and forms. So all these names and forms are antavantaha. All of them are destructible. Anta means end. Antavat means that which has an end. So these bodies are all those which have an end. <coughs> now, what do you mean by end? Actually you said that nothing ever comes to an end. Even the body doesn't come to an end in that sense that it may end as this particular assembly. It will disintegrate into its components alright. But really speaking, in the world, there is no destruction as such. So you cannot even say that even the body is destructible in that sense. However, we still call it destructible antavantaha. In what sense? Shankaracharya explains here, very beautiful. Antaha vinashaha vidyate yesham te antavantaha. 
those who suffer from end or destruction, they are called antavantaha. Yatha mrugatrashnikadav sadbuddhi anuvratta pramanirupanande vichidyade satasyaha antaha. Just as Shankarajara says, you are perceiving mirage water. You are perceiving water, which actually happens to be mirage water. At the first sight, you will think that there is real water there. However, when you go to that spot, which you thought was water, you actually find there is nothing but desert there, or sand, or some shining surface. And thus, when you actually inquire into the reality of that water, then it turns out to be something else. So when you are at a distance, you thought there is water there. When you actually go there and examine that surface, then you find out that there is no water. <coughs> so what has happened to water? That Mrugatrashnikarav Sadbuddhihi that sadbuddhi, that thought or the conclusion that the water is real, that sadbuddhi or the conclusion that the water is real, it goes away when I discover that there is no water, there is merely a shining surface. This is called the destruction of water. <coughs> so only one thing can suff- suffer real destruction and that is what we call mithya or projection. For example, when I superimpose a snake upon the rope and then after showing the torchlight and discover that this is really a rope and not the snake, then my earlier conclusion that this is a snake, that conclusion is gone, the snake is completely destroyed. So what can be completely destroyed is that which is projected. So projection is one thing that suffers from complete destruction. Nothing else can be destroyed. Everything else in the world only changes its forms from one to the other. But the only thing that suffers destruction is that which is projected or unreal. <coughs> the illustration given here is of Mrugatrushnika or the mirage water. And then what happens? Even when you see mirage water, now you know the truth of it. You know that there is merely a shining surface there. And therefore, even while perceiving the mirage water, you know the mirage water to be non-existent. This knowledge that the mirage water is non-existent, that even though it appears to be real, in fact it does not have reality, this knowledge is called the destruction of mirage water. So you can say that the mirage water or the reality to the mirage water was a product of ignorance. <coughs> mirage water itself may not well, in fact it is only mirage water and that is possible when you do not know that this object is mirage water and therefore you give it reality so reality given to that mirage water is on account of ignorance and therefore when the knowledge takes place of what that real object is then the reality goes away. Even though the mirage water continues to be perceived, now you don't take it to be real. <coughs> and this is called the end or the destruction of the reality of mirage water. <coughs> so end is explained here as the destruction 
that is brought about as a result of knowledge. Knowledge about the reality of the thing. It doesn't have to be destroyed. Or the mirage water doesn't really have to go out of your perception. And still you know, it is not there. Similarly, Lord Krishna says, all these bodies are also antavantaha. They are also destructible in that sense because all of them are merely appearances alone. Svapnamaya deha devacha antavantaha. For example, the body that you enjoy in dream. In dream we gain variety of experiences. At that time, in the dream, the kind of body that I am quoting or I am experiencing is not this physical body. That dream body also is created. And what happens to that body when I wake up? Suppose in the dream, I may have an experience that I fell down, I suffered an injury. Lot of things happened to me in the dream. I was in pain and because of that pain I woke up. And I find that I am very comfortably sleeping and lying down on my bed under the blankets and very comfortable, all safe and sound. That shows that that body which was injured in the dream world, dream experience, was not this body. What was that body? It was a projected body, a created body. And what happened to that body when I woke up? That body suffered what we call destruction. So just the dream body doesn't have reality. It is called the end of the or sometimes magicians also do that. Sometimes magicians also create a person and then do all kinds of things with that person. You know, cut that person in two and all sorts of things they do. So one person is created, put that in a box and chops, all kinds of things they used to do. I mean this is so many years ago I saw a magic show, I haven't seen it lately. And that person comes out all intact, you know. So something is wrong somewhere, either the body is not there or that apparently all kinds of, uh, you know, Chopping and cutting is all unreal. So how the body created by magic, even though appears to be real to the one who is under the spell of magic, is not really there. How the body in the dream, even though it appears to be real and you experience the pleasure and pain, but it is not really there. So you must know what is meant by unreal. Similarly, Lord Krishna says, all these bodies are unreal, meaning enjoying essentially the same degree of reality. Even though they appear to be tangible, there is no reality about them. All that is real is Sat, existence, awareness, which is a self. That's the only reality about anyone and everyone. This body, the form, that I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm tall, I'm short, these things are not reality about me. All those conclusions about me are similar to the conclusion that this is real water. <coughs> This is what Lord Krishna points out, that Arjuna, when you are talking about killing people, what are you talking about? Killing what? So, you can kill the body, what is the reality of body? Body doesn't have any reality at all. And the self which is real cannot be killed because vinashamavyasyasyanakaschitkartumarhati that which is self cannot be destroyed by anyone. You cannot bring about destruction of the self. Later on we said, Nainam chinnanti shastrani, Nainam dhati pavakaha. The weapons cannot cleave the self. All of them can have effect only on the body. Body is not the self. So in these verses, Lord Krishna is carrying out what we call a viveka, a discriminative analysis of the atma and anatma, the self and non-self. I have been just brought up 
thinking that this body is I. And therefore, I take other people also, their body is also as I, as their self. So since we are brought up to take the body as a self, other bodies are also taken by us to be the self. Lord Krishna says, body is not the self. Self is that which is indestructible, which is real. And the body is really unreal and therefore not there for all practical purposes. As far as the, the, the degree of reality is concerned, body is unreal. Antavanta ime dehaha nityasya uktaha sharirinaha Shariri means embodied one. Then there are so many bodies. How many embodied ones are there? How many self are there? Which embody, which are in this embodiment? Is this one self here, another self there, a third self elsewhere? Are there as many self, as many bodies there are? Lord Krishna says no. See here there is a word, Sharirinaha. There is a sixth case of the word Shariri. And a sixth case, singular. Of the embodied one, the translation will be, all these bodies of the embodied one are destructible. So embodied one is how many? One. And bodies are how many? Many. So just by grammar itself, Lord says, that in all these many embodiments, the one who dwells is one self alone. It is one indestructible self that pervades all the bodies, that dwells in all the bodies. Where he dwells, those names and forms are destructible. But the one who dwells, namely the self, is indestructible. Anashinaha apramesya sharirinaha Who is that shariri? The embodied one, the soul for the self is Anashi, himself indestructible. The body destructible, the self indestructible. Nityasya, he is called Nitya and Anashi. <coughs> the self is both indestructible and imperishable. Sometimes there is a destruction two ways. There is partial destruction or total destruction. And therefore, to deny both kind of destruction in self, Lord uses in fact two words here. Nityasya, Anashinaha. So it is called uh, the Kutastha Nityatvam. There is two kinds of continuity. Pravah Nityatvam and Kutastha Nityatvam. So like this earth, etc., all these objects, they keep on changing the form all right, but they continue to persist in their existence. Like water can continues to flow even the moment to moment it changes, it as though continues to be there. So that is called pravaha nityatvam or the, the continuity which is subject to change. But self does not change at all. And therefore, kutastha nityatvam, it is changeless while being changeless, it is indestructible. So self is both indestructible and changeless. And the bodies which are embodied are all the time destructible, unreal. Aprameyasya <coughs> Aprameya Prameya means measurable I as self is Aprameya Immeasurable So self is that which cannot be measured Meaning which cannot be objectified Which cannot be perceived Which cannot be measured Which cannot be encompassed by any means of knowledge 
which cannot be objectified by any means of knowledge. Self is that which cannot be objectified. The eyes, ears, the organs of perception cannot objectify the self. The mind cannot objectify the self. Even the scriptures also cannot objectify the self. Because it is self-effulgent. The idea is self is self-effulgent, self-revealing. And this we have discussed a number of times. That all the objects in the universe require a means of knowledge in order to reveal themselves. <coughs> like the colors require eyes to reveal themselves. The sounds require ears to reveal themselves. What is required for the self to reveal itself? Nothing is required. You don't have to see yourself to say that I am. You don't have to hear yourself to determine that you are. Are you there? Let me hear if I am there or not. Are you there? Let me see if I am there or not. I don't have to see. I don't have to hear because without the need of the organs of perception, I know I am. Nor are you there? Let me think. I don't have to think also because even the thoughts are not required to reveal the self. Self is self-revealing. And therefore, we do not require to think in order to know that I exist. I know that I am without perceiving myself, without thinking. And therefore, Atma, the self, is self-revealing. <coughs> and therefore, cannot be objectified by the senses, nor can it be objectified by the mind, nor can it be objectified by any means of knowledge. Therefore, it is called Apramaya. It can be known all right, but not objectified. And if you say that the self cannot be even known by the, by the scriptures, then how, what exactly are we doing here? If the self cannot be revealed by the scriptures, because scriptures are supposed to be the means of knowledge for revealing those things which cannot be revealed by the sense organs. Then if you say that the self cannot be revealed even by the scriptures, then what exactly do the scriptures do? Scriptures also do not reveal the self because self is, reveals itself. Then what is the role of the scriptures? What is the scope of scriptures as far as the knowledge is concerned? All that the scriptures do is, <coughs> says here, Atadharma Adhyaropanamatra Nivartakatvena Pramanatvam Shastrasya. The scriptures reveal the self in as much as what is the role is that they help us to remove all the notions about the self. The thing is, the Atma or the self is always known to us. That I am and I exist, I am aware. So self is self-revealing. <coughs> However, unfortunately that is what we call Adhyaropa or superimposition. Because the self also reveals itself and this body also is revealed by the organs of perception. So two things are revealed. The self and non-self, both of them shine. And I, not being able to discriminate between these two, I lump them together and take them to one entity. And that's the reason why the attributes of the non-self are superimposed upon the self. And the attributes of the self are superimposed upon the non-self. And thus we have what we call non-discrimination, aviveka, from which various notions about the self arise. So I know myself alright, but then I know myself wrongly. This is what we call an error of viparita buddhi. I know myself wrongly or incorrectly. I have false notions about myself. And that is a problem. 
If I did not know myself at all, there would be no problem. If I knew myself correctly, there would be no problem. But then, I take myself to be limited. I take myself to be body. I take myself to be mortal. I take myself to be ignorant. I take myself to be unhappy or sad. And it is these notions about the self which create all the problems. What the scriptures do? They enable us to eliminate these notions by the discrimination between the self and the non-self. By identifying the self as self and identififying the non-self as non-self. Then realize that mortality belongs to the body, not to the self. Ignorance belongs to the intellect, not to the self. Limitation belongs to the mind, not to the self. And thus, when I'm able to discriminate, then that all the, the, the sadness, all the difficulties that arose on account of superimposition, that goes away. And so, all that the self, the scriptures do is atadharma adhyaropana matra nivartanam The superimposition that is presently going on by eliminating or dis- eliminating the superimposition, the scriptures enable us to identify the non-self as non-self. That the body is non-self. Sense organs are non-self. Mind is non-self. That's why we say in the morning, Sula, Sukshma, Karana Sharirat, Vyatariktaha. The self is one that is distinct from the gross, subtle and the causal bodies. Because so far I thought gross body was the self, subtle body was the self. And identifying them as non-self enables me to identify the self as it is. And that is how the scriptures enable us to do what we call the discrimination between the self and the non-self. And thus enable us to know the self correctly. Whereas at the moment I know the self incorrectly. This is the role of the scriptures. Scriptures do not reveal the self. But then scriptures reveal the errors committed by us. Enable us to discriminate between the self and non-self. In that manner, they become the means of knowledge. <coughs> so, natu Not that a totally unknown Atma is made known to me, but then a wrongly known the self is made correctly known to me. And this is what is the role of the scriptures. Anapramayasya. And therefore, Atma actually is that which cannot be revealed by any means of knowledge. Of such an Atma, all these bodies are antavantaha. All of them are destructible. <coughs> okay, we'll continue it next time. Om Puranamadaf Puranamidam Puranat Puranamudachyade Puranasya Puranamadaya Puranameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutavande Bhagavantau Punaf Punaha Ishvaro Gururatmeti Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Gurubhyo Namaha Hari Om